You are listening to the Therefore I Geek podcast, episode 92. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore I Geek. I'm Tracy. I'm Groot. I'm Daryl. <laughs> and Daryl's joining us from the Taylor Network of Podcasts, where he hosts um, his own podcasts and is on a bunch of other ones as well. Always have interesting stuff for those of you who are perpetually looking for a new podcast to listen to. I highly recommend that you go check them out. In fact, I've wanted Daryl to come out on our podcast for quite a while. So this is a huge honor, and we're super happy to have you. Welcome. Special Thank guest. You. Special guest. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, Today we are talking about, well, we're going to start with talking about the brand new Guardians of the Galaxy teaser trailer that just dropped. It's about two minutes long. Mm -hmm. I thought it looked fantastic. Then we're going to do a little bit of an overview and review of Westworld, HBO's new flagship show. Well, not really, because Game of Thrones is still around. Yeah, it's still Game of Thrones. But uh, I think think they really want this. Right? Yeah, Isn't that the idea like when Game of Thrones is in town, it's uh, no one's watching anything other than Game of Thrones. Right. And then, then Westworld got to kind of pick up the slack. Well, they're really taking over from like Boardwalk Empire and those types of shows, right? They always came on in the fall and, and the winter. Yeah, this was one of the it's funny because this is one of the last of the new shows that were greenlit uh, before the guy that did, ran this HBO for a while had left and retired. So okay. this this was his this was one of the last ones like it was going through a lot of production problems and they were worried about the the amount of money spent on it his and budget was insane it was yeah, like 100 yeah. million dollars for 13 it, episodes Right and it almost didn't happen like they went on the fence with it because they canceled a lot of the other shows uh HBO shows yeah. like vinyl they even gave up on vinyl after they spent a lot of money on vinyl Yeah So this was one of the ones that got through and it, it paid off, uh, you know, because they were really leery on this. Like there were there was talk about it was a, a cluster, yeah, mess. Uh, you know, they re- of, of... they reshot some of the stuff, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, there were a lot of pre production or during production, uh, there were a lot of issues. And I'm sorry, I just said 13 episodes. This is a 10 episode show. Yeah, 10. 10. The season finale tonight, of course, as usual, we are recording this on a Sunday and it's going to drop on Tuesday. So by the time our listeners hear this, of course, we'll all know what happens in the season finale. But right. at the moment, those of us who are caught so up that, in the show do that not. That comes to $10 million an episode, basically. Yeah. yeah. And it's getting a year break to make sure that when it comes back for the second season. Yeah, 2018. we got to wait yeah, that long. It'll be Which ready. sucks for me. I really like this show. Uh, but anyway, first, before we get into that, and, and then we're, we're going to actually wrap this podcast up with a, a nice discussion of um, artificial intelligence, what it is, why it's important, and why the West seems to be afraid of it. So this is going to be a really fun. Po- I've been I'm excited about this podcast. This is going to be fun. So yeah, so Guardians of the Galaxy. Speaking of sci-fi, Daryl, you're not a big fan of the original, I think. I know I was a huge fan. Yeah, I was more of a fan of the comic than I was the movie. So what did you think of the trailer, though? Is this interesting uh, enough to catch your attention? I probably won't. But the, the tone is still going to be the same. So I probably won't go. Like, I don't want to waste my time going to watch the movie, and if I'm not going to like it, I don't want to hate watch. I don't I don't like doing that. But it's interesting that they got Mantis in it, and it's, uh, you know, and it, they changed his parentage a lot. I mean, Ego, the living planet, is his father. That is weird. I don't know how they're going to do that. At least that. They're, bringing in the, they're bringing in the living planet, though. I wasn't even sure that was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, they made a trade. He made it. They made a trade just to get him. Um, just to be able to use the character at all. Wait, who did they trade with? They Fox? traded for the mega, the uh, mega enforcer or something. 
with from Dead Deadpool. The, oh, the that's mutant, right. That's right. Mega Enforcer. That was traded. That that's how they got Ego. Okay. Well, well they traded for her. That's right. I just saw that in the news. I think like yesterday or the day before, and I'll throw that in the show notes. Um, and yeah. you and Dude will get along. Dude never goes and watches anything he doesn't want to watch. <laughs> Dude, what <laughs> did you think? Except I, I sat through nine hours of Westworld yesterday. That's, that's true, but that's because you love us. Yeah, that was a deal. Somewhere deep in the depths of your cold, three sizes too small heart. Um, a friend of mine just said the other day, he sent me a, like, a, he has a business idea. And he's like, I'm asking you because I know there's a cash register in your chest where a heart should be. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That sounds so right. What did you think of the trailer? <laughs> well, see, I, I feel like I'm the worst person in the world to ask about Guardians of the Galaxy trailers because when I saw the very first one, three, four, two, three years ago, I hated it, and I was like, I'm not watching this. I don't want to watch this movie, and I didn't. And the trailers basically keep the same tone from the trailers a couple years ago, and I still have the feeling I don't want to watch this movie, except I might have to because it's you know now my job. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a requirement. I, will I, say I this. sent you the, the contract, right? You signed that? Really, really good. They do. It, yeah. This looks absolutely beautiful. And Baby Groot... So I'm a sucker for a cute character, right? I love mm -hmm. BB-8. We were mm -hmm. actually in prep for this podcast. I was working through sort of my thoughts on androids and uh, AI and different things. And I was thinking, okay, so C-3PO is, you know, the butler bot. And he's actually android shaped because he's, you know, sort of customer facing. Mm -hmm. And then you have R2-D2, who's more of a pilot bot, I think, or something along those lines. And he's not android shaped at all. And then you have BB-8, and I was just sitting there thinking, what was, what does BB-8 actually do besides sell small toys? He Stop. did what you just did. He got you. Well, like, yeah, you, exactly. For people that like that, it, it's a comfortable, cute, like it's a shape of a teddy bear, but without being a teddy bear. Yeah, no arms and legs. I love it. I love a it. A living soccer ball. It's Huge like a European market. <laughs> it's a smartphone. It's like a living, it is, it's like a living, living smartphone. You put information in it, it holds your information, it, it, it can talk to you when needed, it, it pretty much stays out of the way, uh, answers your questions, I mean. Well, I was about to say, I've never seen it settle an argument, because, because then it achieves smartphone status. When R2-D2 settles an argument, it's officially an iPhone, right? That's hilarious. Yep. Yeah, if you need information, I'm pretty sure if they needed info, it could, it could actually look it up. Yeah, so I love Baby Groot. Mm -hmm. I love Drax's laugh at the end. That is his... He, I laughed. I started laughing. He's actually... Um, and I cannot remember for the life of me that guy's name. The actor. Uh, uh, he's the fighter. Yeah, oh, Batista? He's Batista, yeah. Batista, thank you, yes. He's a pro wrestler. wrestler. I don't think yeah. Pro wrestler. Fighter. Not an actual fighter. But I mean, you got to act a little bit for the pro wrestling side, too. But oh, yeah, I think... it's showmanship. Mm. This oh, is yeah. not a fighter. Oh, yeah. Like CM Punk just proved that a couple of UFCs ago that you can <laughs> fake fight for a while, and yeah. then when you get into the ring with a real fighter, uh, you lose badly, really yes. bad. Yes. So, so he, he, Batista is either either he's very much improved for this movie, his acting ability, or they just managed to pull the best clip for the trailer, which I mean, so often happens. But well, I'm I'm hopeful. I think might be a little happen. bit of both. Probably. Yeah, he's it's, he's acting more than he did. They don't. I mean, it's not like they write Drax that it's hard to to pull. No, off. no, he's 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 a pretty simple simple guy. Not that's in a bad basically way. Baptiste's career. You know, go. He was always like the big, strong, silent mm -hmm. dude right. from like Man with the Golden Arms or whatever that was. Not a, on through, and not a single metaphor goes over his head. <laughs> no, not 
a single one. Oh, Speaking so of they... metaphors, mm-hmm. Westworld. <laughs> Professional segue. <laughs> nice. So we're in episode nine. Uh-huh. A lot has happened. I have a lot of questions. This this happens to me with every HBO show, right? The beginning, the very first season, there are so many questions. It's fascinating. I'm thinking it through. I'm I'm working out the possibilities. And then season two is so close to being as good. So so close that I'm I'm also excited. And then season three is just boring. And th- this has happened to me oh so many times. But here we are, almost at the end of season one. Mm-hmm. Where where are we headed? What what is what's going on with this show? And I, yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Dude, you you know what? You are the, probably the most critical person on this podcast. Why don't you start? Well, what I find, found amazing about Westworld is here is a TV show that took an hour and a half movie from 1973 <laughs> and stretched it to nine hours. And shrunk the scene. It shrunk shrunk yeah. the, the scope. Scope yeah, a little good. bit, but because you, you, you don't have the Roman world and you don't have the medieval world. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, they basically took what is a Jurassic Park-style park catastrophe and made it, added about three or four subplots mm-hmm. and made it nine hours and i remember i started watching the first episode going if i didn't have to watch this show i wouldn't have watched it after the first episode and watching the second episode i went okay now i'm kind of mad i need to take a break and then i think <laughs> i sent you a message saying this show is age acceleratingly boring <laughs> and then i took a break i watched two more episodes officially came to the conclusion i don't like this show and then finished the last five last night. Okay. Five through nine. Did at any point did any of the plot win you over? No, I think the problem with this story is we know we're going towards a park catastrophe, especially if you know the original movie. But no, it, it never did because I couldn't care about what was going on. Oh, see, I ha- I don't think that the park catastrophe is going to be all of. This the parts I was interested in have nothing to do with any kind of a catastrophe. Would, Daryl, would you agree with that? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it does either. We don't even know the the status of the Earth. I mean, we really. You know, that occurred to me. I think around episode seven, where I suddenly thought, you know, we've never seen the outside world. We have no idea. There's only an implied thing when um when what's the character's name uh Logan. Or... Uh, when Dr. Roberts Ford is talking to mm. Bernard and he's saying that we have pretty much, we've hunted, we've wiped out everything else, we've conquered, you know, when he's talking to Bernard to, in, in the last episode. Yep. And he's saying we've pretty much done all that. Like, we, we're bored with it. And mm-hmm. this park was, this was the answer for us. Like, we've conquered everything else. There's nothing left for us to do. This is how we indulge our predatory this, nature. This is how we do it. Like yeah. this, this part kind of saved us. It, it almost implied it kind of saved uh, society because Lo- there was Logan, just nothing left. Was it Logan or the man in black somewhere along the lines? They actually do refer to the world outside as a land of plenty. Mm-hmm. There is that phrase, a land of plenty, which right. at least to me led me to believe that conflict outside the park is gone. Right. And inside the park is where you can actually have conflict. That was the man that I came up with. And it's interesting that the man in black who is in all points, you look at him, you think evil guy. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But when they use the reaction of other guests at the in in the in the resort in in the world, they use them to show that this guy is someone who 
he's a good he's he's helped people he's he's cured mm-hmm. sicknesses he's you know like he's run whatever thing he runs whatever medical thing he runs they have saved lives he is he has saved many 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 lives yeah he's, and, he sounds like a norman borlock or an elon musk type character. yeah exactly so the way that and they told and i like that they only told us this from the reaction of one of the guests at the at, at westworld so and he even gets angry at the guy for outing his secret, yeah. That for he, even outing yeah. that, that he doesn't want to hear anything about his other life. He, yeah. Right now, he is in this world. He wants to figure out this maze. He wants to get to what he wants to get to. It's not about anything else. And, and he, he's clearly fascinated enough with it to to force yeah. his way onto. Well, I would assume force, but he, he managed to get on the board, which we find yeah. out in the very uh, in episode number nine. Mm-hmm. That they have to get his sign off on, you know, any kind of major changes that they want to make uh, as as a board. And yeah, he... he's a billionaire. Yeah, he's one of the. It seems like Westworld is made up of a bunch of billionaires in different industry. Mm-hmm. It seems, and he's one of the many. He's one of the guys on the board. Um, There's also an implication he saved the park right when it was in trouble earlier, yes. which always took me. Which always. I don't know if they're treating the previous the film as canon or or that's maybe a tip of the hat to the film when they talk about the catastrophe from 30 years ago. Yeah, I don't think we're going to know that answer until yeah. the finale. I don't know if we're going to I have a that. feeling that they either I mean, I think we're going to get an answer whether or not they're going to tip the hat to it at all or not. There there are little references if you listen to to like that catastrophe if you listen to when they talk about early androids and they mm-hmm. never got the hands right right that was a, a reference to the film because in the original film the way you could tell which was an android and which wasn't if you looked at the hands mm-hmm. and i could swear in the early episodes like two or three you could basically see the yule brenner costume in the background i so think the, you could was yeah, that in that was that in the at the beginning the when when they went sort of that entrance area and they sort of had a few displays of costumes I don't and stuff? Exactly where, but I remember pointing it out to the girl, going, "I think that's Yul Brenner in the background," <laughs> which should be a fantastic nod. Little nods, yeah. I just my main beef with this is just narratively, this is not a good show. This is a show that really pours their narrative out very poorly extrapolate that on that how it doesn't hook you early on so i i contrasted it to like a show like stranger things within 20 minutes you understand the point of this show of stranger things mm-hmm. within i didn't get into the point of westworld till episode five and i sat there thinking well one through four you didn't need and as i'm watching it i see a lot of fat in the script and i'm sitting there going you don't need this you don't need this you don't need this this is wasting time this there's a lot of nonsense for between characters and i don't think it's edited in a way that can hold your interest that right when you get to something of substance it cuts away to another storyline and it spends five to ten minutes wasting time then it starts to get interesting and then we cut to another storyline. I just think structurally, as a show, it fails. I don't. I, I, I don't. Go ahead, Daryl, because I well, think you're going to make the same point I'm going to make. Well, I would say there are different ways to tell this story, and there and TV and movies have done that. And I think if you say it's too boring for you, I couldn't even argue with you. You're right. If you're saying it, it bores you, it's not. You're not wrong for saying that because they are telling it 
this way. This is by choice. I don't think this is a mistake. Absolutely. I don't think it's something that they didn't. This is on purpose. They are building this world slowly. They were taking their time. They were letting you get little glimpses, but there was there were no definitive. This is the evil per- people in the show. These are the good guys of the show. This is the direction we're going to go. You really don't know that. Like more than half of the show goes on. I would think even. You don't really know who are the the what roles these people are playing until maybe seven, eight, where you really start to kind of see who is what and what's going like when Bernard, when you, you, you finally find out what's going on with Bernard, that I think is a turning point when you see what happens with Maeve, like what what her real plan is and how she's slowly working towards that. And and the whole thing with is it Armistice, I'm the, thinking of the the, the blonde. Oh, oh no, 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 Dolores, Dolores. Dolores I'm sorry. Yeah. When you when you see Dolores, I mean, you don't get a payoff with Dolores, but you know that there's something different about her. I don't, you don't even get a think payoff until episode nine. Yeah, and it's still not done. Like, but I still... thought I thought I knew what was going on with her in episode four. But right? you don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think. So that's kind of brings into the reason that I would disagree with you, dude, is that I think the longer this goes, the more you're going to see that all those details that look like fat at at the beginning, at least this is what I hope for the show. I can't say that I think that this is going to happen because, hello, I think all of us watched Lost at some point. But no, I never I, I'm about to. I was about to bring Lost into it too because I was a watcher of Lost as well. No, I, so. I, I was obsessed. You couldn't have paid me enough money to watch Lost. <laughs> I was in it, so I know what you mean by building these little. So I'm hopeful. My my hope is that we're going to kind of glance back and go, whoa. For instance, the big thing for me was with the Bernard reveal. Mm-hmm. That actually the surprised understanding, you? No, the understanding that he had been two different, the, the, the flashbacks that we've seen of Bernard talking to Dolores and so forth, those are two different people. Yeah. We're seeing the original Arnold, and we're also seeing the Bernard as he is the android character. Now, mm-hmm. it did surprise me that Ford actually allowed him to shoot himself. That surprised me. I don't think that's over. I, really? I don't, not. I don't think that's over either. I think there's I more to it than that. I agree with you that the, the show is being, is this is by design, right? That, I, I agree with that. I think it's just a poor design. That That's my main point. I think this is a poor narrative design. And, and that's just as a show. And and there are little things when a show, and like movies like Avatar do this, is they have rules they set within their universe and then you have to accept the rules as they are, and then yeah. they start to break them along the way. I felt, in my opinion, the show's been doing that, particularly with the Mauve char- or Maeve yeah. character. Mm-hmm. And I and I was sitting there watching it, going, "This is just becoming frustrating to me that I don't, I don't believe that storyline would play out the way it would in the world they're creating." I like, that was I do have I just, to agree with I you. I don't. I didn't buy it. So early on in the. There's two things in the show I, I just couldn't, you know, have, when you, watch a, you have to watch yep. a show. You have to like, like I buy it. Okay, I, I yeah. you're, I'm sold. I go with it. Is the Maeve and the Billy characters? I just don't, I don't accept them. I just don't buy them. Well, is so. Here's a question for you guys. And of course, there's a lot of cons. Not, I, they're not really conspiracy theories, are they? What do they call them? Um, fan just fan theories, I guess. We did a whole show um, on this, Tracy. You did. Know. They call them yeah. fan theories. <laughs> yeah. Well, fan theories can also go into weird territory, but I think at least right. for now, because we're so Show early hats. on in this, our tinfoil hats are still fairly small. We haven't right. built multi-stories, but 
uh, one of the mine. ideas in the picture. I've seen your I've seen your tinfoil hat. It's it's <laughs> it seems as though some people are believe that maybe the Billy storyline is not happening in the present. That that is also a flashback. I, and that, yeah, I've heard that. Too. And that he's actually another character that we already know as well. So I think there's some weight to that. I'm not sure though. I and and again, I I really hope that they can make this. They can tie up these ends. You know, over the course of the life of this show and continue to hook me because I'm I'm really enjoying it. So speaking specifically of of Ford and Arnold, who are of course the two characters that hide in the shadows and yet we are attempting to focus on throughout mm-hmm. the show, they seem to exemplify the two halves of AI philosophy, right? The the right. love and the fear. Right. So that kind of transitions us into our talk about artificial intelligence, where it came from. And I just kind of wanted to get you guys' thoughts on uh, using Westworld and Star Trek and Star Wars and the Alien franchise as possible examples, how you believe the Western world should respond to artificial intelligence, which may be possibly on the horizon. So man has been obsessed with creating some type of life, something in its own image for, for as long as we've been on this planet, basically. Oh, of course. Um, you've got the Greek myth of Pygmalion. You have the Jewish legends of the Gollum. Uh, we love the story of the creation of man, and we want to repeat that if we possibly mm-hmm. can, but with us in the role of deity, right? Yeah, because we don't even know how we... We have no like, idea. There, there's, no, we have, there's no concrete way to just, to really, by chance, unless you go, to go by chance. I mean, you either follow religion, if, you, if you're a religious person, or... But it's still not something where you know concrete. This is how. Oh no! It's it came absolutely about. myth and legend. Or if you go by uh, just regular science, it's by chance that we're even here. Maybe we're not even totally sure how. We're not sure, right? And and I think all when you have something like that, we are always going to question, like sure. what, you know, what is our existence? How we we do not like to not have answers. That that's the thing. That's absolutely, and. It really wasn't until 1956 when the concept and study of AI was formally began, at least according to most people. And um, that was the Dartmouth Conference, which was a summer workshop on the Dartmouth campus. It was a bunch of scientists and mathematicians that got together and basically got in a room and brainstormed for about six to eight weeks and just discussed whether or not this was possible, how it might be possible, what it would look like, that kind of thing. And then in 1950, Alan Turing published a paper called Computing Machinery and Intelligence that proposed the infamous Turing test. So uh, for those of you that do not know, the Turing test, which is a famous phrase, is is a test that was proposed in which three rooms are separated uh, completely, sound and visually separated. And a, a person, male or female, called the judge, sits in run room and communicates solely through a computer to a man and a woman separated in their own rooms and the only way that they can converse back and forth is with an archaic version of email or instant messenger and the man in this the male subject uh, speaks back and forth with the judge via computer and answers any questions the judge has and then the female in this test tries to lie and convince the judge that she is actually the male so the judge is sitting there wondering which person is lying to him and then Turing took it to the next level and said, why don't you replace the female with a computer? And basically, if in more than 50, in 50% or more of the tests run, the computer can convince the judge that 
it may or may not be like the judge is still questioning whether or not the computer is the person, then that computer has passed the Turing test and is intelligent. So AI research peaked in the 60s, but by the mid 70s, it became very obvious that creating artificial intelligence was significantly more difficult than they originally thought. And, and most interesting to me, doubts about whether the Turing test was a thorough enough exam began to arise, which leads me to our first philosophical question for you guys. Is the imitation of intelligence the basis of intelligence? Daryl, do you want to start this one? Uh, no, give me a second. <laughs> Dude, what about you? Do so repeat the question one more time. Is the imitation of intelligence... The basis of intelligence. If, if I can convince you that I'm intelligent, does that make me intelligent? Probably. It all depends really on how you want to define intelligence first, right? So we have, you know, intelligent life all on this planet. If you only want to include human beings as intelligent or you can include other animals as intelligent. So, for instance, we have multiple order ways of thinking, but so do other animals. There's a great video out there of a crow using tools to get at a piece of meat first he bends like a piece of metal to move something out of the way then he jumps over and you know he has this he can problem solve and plan ahead you know and that's been the way our intelligence has developed that's just basically natural that's that's the process of evolution through natural selection and modification so how that's defined and it's funny because i actually heard the definition of it earlier and i can't remember because in prepping for this one of the AI skeptics, I guess I'll call them, or I don't want to call them alarmists because that makes it sound really bad. Uh, Sam Harris had a conversation with Stuart Russell where they go through all of this. But yeah, if you can show those levels of problem solving independent of someone telling you how it's done, mm -hmm. then yeah, you've got some form of intelligence. Now, whether or not that's artificial intelligence, it depends on how you want to define it. There's these terms out there that I just recently learned called narrow and general artificial intelligence. So a narrow artificial intelligence is something we would see similar to a video game where it's computing to beat you, something like Deep Blue trying to beat you in a chess game. It responds solely to your inputs. It does not have right. its and own right. additional... Or it can you know, attempt to beat Donkey Kong in a bar, right? And that was something sure. they found is that, uh, you know, if you, they set a computer in front of an Atari game. It was looking at the Atari game through a screen. It wasn't integrated with it. It could beat the Atari games in a couple hours better than any person could. Uh, that, that would be a narrow form of AI. A general sense of AI is this idea that it's, it just has that human level of understanding about the world around it and can problem solve and see multiple places steps ahead and can alter its surroundings to achieve a certain goal. You know, is that intelligence? I mean, for all intents and purposes, it appears to be. So you and Turing agree that if a machine behaves as intelligently as a human being, then it is as intelligent as a human being. Or at least it's a good starting point. Okay. What about you, Daryl? You know what? I don't, I kind of don't think it is, even though they have, it's like they have the information, but that doesn't mean that they're human. There are just certain things that we can do that right now AI still can't. You know, there's certain reasoning that they, we can do. There's certain, like we we grow, we 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 change. We go through, you know, different situations, and our thought process does change. Yeah, according you're, you're, to what we go through. You're the sum of your experiences, right? Right, right. And a computer and simply cannot do that. They have to respond can't. to their the input that is coming in at at the moment. 
Exactly. So that that is a I, I so that makes me think no. I mean, if if anything, you just it, it's easy to just put all that information into an AI, but it's what you do with that information. And humans, there's and it's with humans too. Like we learn things, but not everyone reacts to what we learn the same either. You know, like we we go through. You go off. You go to school. You you come out of school. Some people go in into different fields. You know, some people don't continue educate. You know, their education that way. I mean, it it's just it goes by. It's just so many factors that go into why we make the different decisions that we make. That and we haven't even talked about the additional inputs of. Um, now they're saying that gut bacteria may have everything to do with our personalities. Mm -hmm. um, we haven't talked about any kind of, you know, mental illness, psychosis, ADD. Thank you. I mean, because we are, I like it. It's funny when we say it, that we are a computer in a way. We we are the first computer, but we are. Well, and that's interesting because another, another piece of this puzzle is I part was brought up in a book that actually came out this year. It's called In Our Own Image, and it's written by, I'm going to butcher this name, George Zarkadikus, um, I believe Greek, and he wrote that the human brain has evolved to learn and to think in metaphors and in stories and narratives. I bet you that's how it's pronounced. I'm sorry. I bet you it's pronounced Zarkadakis. Probably, probably, and I, yeah, I, it's it's, I it's all Greek to me, if you will. That was cheesy. I'm sorry. Don't laugh at that. <laughs> um, so don't worry. No one did. <laughs> well, decidedly you decidedly silent. That you did that. That we're, we learn in metaphors. So as soon as, in fact, when the telegraph was first created, people started drawing the parallels between the telegraph and the human brain. And then, of course, as soon as computers and the Internet came along, they started to make the, that same connection um, because of all. And, and it sort of resembles the brain in that you have all of these connections going back and forth. You have all these, these nodes full of information. But. Truthfully, so here's the next philosophical question. Mm -hmm. Is a brain a computer or is that just a metaphor because that's how we've evolved to understand the world around us? I well, think... I've always taken it as a metaphor, right? I mean, the, the, the brain is, is, is a product of the physical world and the, and the process of evolution. So it's, it's layers upon layers upon layers of changes made from primordial worms all the way to... To us at this point so you know for instance what separates us from a lot of is our, our frontal lobe the prefrontal cortex which puts a cap on so much of the primordial stuff that's at the base of our brain from our you know mammalian ancestors all the way going back before the dinosaurs mm -hmm. so I remember someone trying to I was watching some video years and years ago on this and someone who knew about the brain kind of scoffed at the idea that it was like a computer like that that it can do computing is one thing but there's all these other things that the brain does that a computer doesn't do that the analogy breaks down the deeper and deeper you go into it so you don't think that a computer can ever fully imitate a human brain so can we not create i don't know AI? about ever but i don't certainly like the way my desktop computer is is not fully an, or this laptop that i'm using is not fully analogous but it's a good way to describe it Okay. What about you, Daryl? Do you think that the that we understand what computers are and what even what our brain is? We're still learning about what our brain is. I mean, we're we're still learning. It's so much we don't we don't know. 
Um, we might think we do. And even, and even then we learn, we still learn even more. Like we still don't know what affects us or what affects our behavior or what, you know, like we, we still, we guess at a lot of stuff. Like uh, you're allergic to this or we're allergic to that or the effects of this environment bother, you know, changes us in ways, but we still just don't know yet. And we're still learning. And um, it actually isn't, there was a study that just came out earlier this year that sort of speaks to your point in that placebos, just sugar pills, essentially, the placebo effect is actually growing among Western patients. The ability for oh, yeah. a doctor to hand you a sugar pill and you to feel better and, and truly get better is actually much stronger now than it was even 20 years yeah. ago. Oh, yeah. there's, there's no doubt about that. And I, I think you want to, I want to echo what Daryl says is there have the study of the brain, neuroscience in general is in its infancy. I mean, we're standing on that first leap into the frontier of brain science. And there have been studies that have shown that your choices that you make are changed depending on whether the tester gives you a cold cup of coffee or a warm cup of coffee. And we know, at least from the studies, that when a person makes a decision, a human makes a decision, they can't justify it and they have to go back. Mm-hmm. And usually when they justify it, they're wrong. Right. And it's like it's, it's called priming. You can you can influence a decision based on priming. And we as human beings will make up excuses for why we did what we did. And they're almost right. always wrong. And, well, look and, at the political, even looking at politically, not picking any sides on it, but just look at every time we pick candidates, what we use to get people to make decisions on who they're going to pick. And and we either we build up certain certain traits in people. We, we, we either... Uh, we use certain things, such certain buzzwords, and it affects us. It affects us when we watch something. It affects how the, how things are worded. When you see somebody on, like when you come in contact with people, there are people that you just don't like or you like very much, and you, you don't even know a reason why. You don't know yeah. consciously why you either like them or don't like them, but that decision is made so quickly before you even realize it. Like, I don't, you know, like what candidates you like, what celebrities you, you, you gravitate towards, what movies you like, what, like, there's just so many things that hit us so much, so many things that hit us and, and we input this in our brain and it's all, it's automatic. And, and we build computers to do that in a way, like we're not exactly like computers, but we do build computers to do the same thing are aware that we take things and we want them to just do everything quickly, automatically don't, you know, like, and get, and just do it on their own but we do that every day we we get all this all this outside stimuli and we and there are some people where there's connections that are off where they get stimuli and it hurts them like they can't they just can't just tune things out and everything affects them Mm -hmm. and there's so many people that go through that now i mean there's so many people with mental defects where you see more and more mental illness is, is just it seems to be more than than ever before where people are going through certain things and 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 the rise of autism. HD, that's me. Where yeah. they yeah. catch it, where they right now. I mean, before we, you know, people had it. I mean, back in the day, you know, I'm old, but back in the day, you you would have family members who had issues. You didn't take them to the doctor. You just sent them somewhere, or you know, or you, you lived with a it. relative. You you lived with it, but you yeah. sent them to a relative that could handle it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And they would handle that. And then that and that is kind of what we would do. We wouldn't we wouldn't diagnose it because we didn't even know what that was. And then sure. we did. We wouldn't handle it. And now you see 
I mean, even the thing of Asperger's, everybody thought everybody had Asperger's. There was a time when that was a constant thing um, of everybody labeled with that by the medical community. And then you come to find out they, you know, we learn differently. It's just a form of autism. Yeah, Yeah, they just removed it from the DS5. And they just removed it. And, And but so. We can't, we're still learning with that. And I like it's funny because Westworld still goes to that. I think they're trying to to dig into, especially with Bernard, like when that, that conversation with Bernard and Ford, where he's like, I when he realizes what he is and he's angry with him and he's going through the through all the stuff of why I have these tragedies. Why'd you put that in my brain? And why'd sure. you you know, why'd you do that? But we go because we go through that. Like there there are times where tragedy can even it could either hold us back from achieving something or it could push us forward to do even better. Absolutely. I want to put a finer point on at least one aspect of what Daryl said is, is the emotional, I don't think he used the word emotional, but the emotional decision-making we make. Like the brain mm-hmm. is kind of split into two ch- sections. You've yeah. got your reasonable and rational side. Mm-hmm. Rational is just another way of saying consistent. And then the emotional side. And what we have found, at least what I've understood that scientists have found, is that while we can work with the rational and reasonable side in making decisions, where do I want to go to dinner? Uh, What movie do I watch? What political person do I want to vote for? The emotional side has the final say. Mm -hmm. That's the one that has the final say on it. And it almost never makes any sense. And that's the part we're constantly justifying. Well, that's However, your gut, right? That's I, yeah, I feel it in my yeah. gut. But that's actually like the left side of your brain, right? It's not, you know, you know it's not really your heart. It's not really your gut. It's really up here. And what happens is when a human being is separated from that half, and there's a book called um, You Are Not So Smart, and this story is detailed in it, about a human uh, patient, a patient who's had a has, has that separation in their brain. The two mm-hmm. hemispheres are not separated. It was a person, they called him Elliot for purposes of, of medical confidentiality and that when he was separated from that left side of his brain he was incapable of making decisions because the rational side of the brain the reasonable side of the brain would just constantly chug through decision making processes and never, never come to a, a final decision huh. and that's really what is is just you know darwin calls it the stamp of our lowly origin we had to make emotional decisions on the savannah really quickly because right. if we sat there and went, I wonder if that rustling is really a lion. It might not be a lion. There's a good chance that, and by the time you've decided whether or not it's a lion, you've been killed. Yeah. Right. So, so that's just one of those things where because we are a product of natural selection, we have all this baggage, half a billion years worth of baggage that a computer wouldn't necessarily have. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Well, and that's we why. Can, add that to to a computer that that level of evolutionary baggage or if we even want to and if you have a computer that doesn't have half a billion years of evolutionary baggage how does it behave and to right. me that's an open question i think yeah, i think that a computer would not behave as a human then the what what made these characters in westworld now one of the things that i thought was genius in the storytelling mm-hmm. is that Many of these robots have been in the park for 30 years. Well, I'm 30 years old also. So I have 30 years of experiences and and layers upon layers of convoluted, not just experience, but I, you know, you go as as a human being, we have all these stages of development as well, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you, you're learning by rote as a young child, you reach the age of 10 or 11 and suddenly realize that occasionally your parents told you a white lie and suddenly they're not, you know, gods among men anymore. 
the David Attell hit- joke. You used to think your dad was Superman, and then you realize <laughs> he's just a drunk in a cape. <laughs> And then you've got, you know, you go through puberty, which is a whole nother bag of worms. And then, you know, you're hitting um, the end of high school. And here in the West, we usually see that as sort of the break when you become an an adult and you're expected to think on your own. Then you're going to college if you go to college, trade school, or you're going out into the workforce. So I, I have all of these layers. And what they were doing in the park, of course, was that every time they would reassign one of the android robots to a new storyline, they would keep all of the inputs and all of the experiences and backgrounds and just sort of layer on top of it. So they were sort of wiping them, but they were keeping the backstory sort of underneath and it was providing right. the emotions. Like, And of course, that was the, the intro, cornerstone. right? The opening. Didn't, didn't the they call twitching. it the cornerstone or something? Well, you have the cornerstone experience that sort of shapes who you are as a person. Mine was going out on my own, um, going through seminary and deciding that that wasn't my life, right? So mm-hmm. that was that. If I were an android, that would be my cornerstone. And then for Bernard, of course, in the show, it was the death of his son, right. um, which was of course made up, or at least it was a version of something else that had happened. Yeah, we don't know exactly. We don't. But then you also have, and I'm forgetting the word, dude or Daryl. You can tell me the 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 twitches. They were they they called them. Um, reveries uh, i think right was it reveries something like that i think so where when when the robot would encounter something that reminded them of a previous uh build mm-hmm. then they would do something small like a little twitch um maybe maybe a flip of the fingers or or a twitch of the eyebrow that would make them human or or at least appear human and then apparently that was a problem because suddenly they were able to tap into all the experiences that we tap into every day so does that make them better than us? Are, are they better? If they were to be the next people, would they be better than we are? Are they more moral? Would they survive if, it, if we weren't around? They don't have to procreate, to, but they can certainly make little ones of their own. I don't know. Because if that's the thing, though, because if they decide, you know, overpopulate their decisions we make, especially we were talking about that emotional decisions we make, but that makes sense why we make them, but it's, it keeps us from being, we do the, we call it doing the right thing. Yeah. But sometimes if, if you, if a robot was to look at something and they go, if someone was a repeat offender and murders, if they kept murdering people, I don't, I I can see a, a computer just say, why are we continuing to put him back in prison if especially when you add in the overpopulation and all of that wouldn't sure. it just be logical to just kill him and not make a big thing about it not have a whole you know like eventually you think no death could, row just boom no yeah. death row just do it and they would eventually start making or if someone was so sick that they're not going to make it there i mean they like some things don't make sense would well, not make sense to someone without emotion because the whole thing of keeping people on a respirator and you know they're not going to get better and you know they're not going to come out of it and they're and they're sick and they're dying it would be what you think to yourself would just end it you know why are we holding on we doing we're doing that basically because of the emotional resonance of that like that's you just don't do that you, you know so well dude you're a man without ethics what would it what would a world without <laughs> ethics look like <laughs> as someone whose heart is actually a cash register um i've the show Westworld makes a big assumption that you have to go along with is that these programs, these computers, these AIs can access programs and alter programs on at their own choice. And that these changes are a form of natural selection in that they modify themselves. So when two animals reproduce, 
it's a shuffling of their genes. So it would create a, another creature. And then there's a modification within we, we call mutations. The vast majority of them are benign. Uh, the rest of them are destructive. And then the others will form some kind of advantage that will allow this offspring to reproduce to the next level. So the show makes this assumption that the AIs in this park respond to trauma in the way a human does and not the way a NPC in a computer game would. Differentiate so, that for me. So, for instance, if you're playing Max Payne and you are playing against mobsters whose only job it is is to shoot at you and your job is to shoot at them, those NPCs don't care. It is a form of very narrow AI because it's trying to avoid being shot at the same time shooting you, the opponent, in that... That's the parameters it exists in. So at no point are you ever even remotely concerned that that sprite is really trying to live, that it has a truly un a true at its base an evolutionary understanding of survival. So the show makes this assumption that we have to go along with that a character like Dolores can recognize what trauma is, access that trauma, and do so without being told. I mean, I think all of us took a computer class when we were kids, and I don't know about your teachers, but mine always said the computer won't do anything unless you tell it. Right. Right? So when I watched it, not being a computer scientist, I would have to assume that those AIs were programmed to behave a certain way and do what they're doing and not acting on their own. Well, isn't that, isn't that the different. point? Isn't that the, the and isn't that and this is going to segue nicely into my next point. Thank you, dude. Isn't that also the dichotomy between Ford's philosophy and Arnold's philosophy? That Ford believes that you program the emotions, the character feels the pain because I mean, of course, it's not nerve endings. It's it's just their programming telling them, "Ouch, that hurt because you poked me and there's blood." Right. Um, no, not even that. It's it's the programmer told me that when this happens, this is my response. Right. 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 That's really response. what it is. So it's, it's not, not even a feeling, it's a response. Yeah, right. it's, it's a response. Not with us, because we, uh, we are latent with nerve endings. Mm -hmm. So when we put our hand on a, on a hot pan, that shoots in up through the nerve endings, gets to the brain, and then we have to, the brain has to send a signal back to pull the hand away because the brain understands that pain will be damaging to itself because those who did not have those nerves properly calibrated, burn and infected themselves and probably didn't go on and reproduce. Right. Um, but then you have Arnold who believes that, so, so here's Ford and he says, I put this, you know, I, here's the input. The output is going to be this imitation of emotion. But for Arnold, he wants that robot to feel it. He wants right. the robot to respond in its most natural way to the pain. So instead of teaching the robot, when this happens, then you respond thusly. It was, I'm going to put this in and give you a feeling about it. And then you, the robot's response, you know, for at least in our suspension of disbelief, is its own, its own response. Mm -hmm. And at least in the, in the closed world of Westworld, that is what makes them more human. At, at least in, as far as I can tell with the show, that seems to be the break um, when they actually go from being a robot with a program to having their own sentience. And I mean, are we able to do that, though? Is this in any way, shape, or form something that... Or do we need to map the complete human brain, as Daryl was sort of um, at least alluding to, and, and it will take another hundred years? Uh, Daryl, did you want to grab that one? Well, it's even weird to, like, you're going by the programmer. We don't even know. And a lot of times in these, when they do these stories, the programmer doesn't exactly have great social skills. 
but they're making the decision on what would be the the input that goes into the into the AI and what they should react to and why they should react the way that they do. But again, we're we're so we're no, none of us are alike. Okay, and a lot of times in these you know in these stories, we don't know who Arnold really was. We we don't know what kind of man he was. We didn't know what he if he'd done any bad things in his life. We don't know what he achieved outside of the park. We don't know if he was ever married. He ever interacted with his family. We we know none of these things. Yep. And to a point where you people don't even know what he looks like out of all this time. I mean, that says a lot that, that, that there's a people there's a bunch of people that we have Bernard walking around with this guy's face, and, and no, no one knows that this yeah. is Arnold. Yeah. And he's responsible for the park, you know, him and 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 Ford. They're responsible for this park, yeah, uh, being what it is, you know, with, you know, with the help of the backing and stuff, sure, uh, of the corporate side. But like to have that and not have any connections with anyone, no one look for Arnold, no one. Quite, it's like his creations were more uh, care more about Arnold than anyone else because there's no one looking for him and even i mean when we go through the assumption that maybe when the catastrophe happened that was when he got murdered by dolores dolores yeah or at least she caused his death i'm not sure that they or ever she caused his death. i'm yeah. not sure that they ever clarified which that we, we don't know yet yeah all we she says got... is i killed you right that's all we know uh, how far you want to split hairs with that is, is up to you and that might I, be I'm... something that I, I would bet that that comes out tonight yeah and i'm assuming and i, I i'm gonna make the assumption that i bet you part of the tra trauma is going to be that she murdered Arnold. Sure. And I mean, to some extent, Ford's sort of taken that on her, right? He, mm -hmm. Her storyline is particularly brutal. Right. So Ford and Arnold kind of take the two halves of Western philosophy towards towards AI. So I've, I've heard it split different ways. Love versus fear, Hellenic versus uh, Hebraic, um, the idea of the Gollum versus the idea of Galatea the uh, wife of Pygmalion. So to me, Ford is more the love side. He, he loves his robot. I think he really does. He enjoys working on them. At no point does he see a blurred line between a robot and a human. I don't think he at any point thinks that the robot is more valuable than the human other than perhaps the sheer monetary value of what he, of his, in, of his intellectual property. But then Arnold is, is, is Arnold the side of fear perhaps? Or, or not. He we, seems to be more interested in making a human. I don't think it's so black. And that's another thing with this. Like, it's not so black and white where it's like heart and emotion versus, you know, just that coldness. Over the, like, he's done some he's done some cold things. And we don't even know to what the extent of of the things he's done. I mean, he's caused other. He's, he's of murdered people. He's sure. murdered people. And I, I'm pretty sure there's probably been more murders throughout the the park over the oh, years he's been here sure. a long time yeah. um anybody that threatens this park to you know to, to take power away from him he kills them he seems to have no qualms about at least the direct ones right because actually right. He, he very much understands that the board specifically um oh shoot what's her name the young woman who who showed up to the uh, one that speaks for the board uh charlotte Hale. charlotte thank you yeah charlotte he has absolutely no intention, it looks like, of actually taking her out. It seems almost as though he enjoys their little games. He tells He Bernard, does, to a point, right, yeah, right. Yeah, and she's in the park. I mean, at any time, mm -hmm. all he has to do is send Bernard or whoever else because he's got this backdoor access to all of these robots. Right. So um, 
my last question for you guys on this topic before we wrap things up, and Daryl, I'll start with you. What do you think? Should we be afraid of AI? Is it coming to get us? Is this the next step in evol- Android evolution? Or should we embrace it? I don't think we should be afraid of science. Like anytime we, like there's so much that science has done that has helped. The, I think what always comes in the con- comes in conflict though is how it's dealt with. Uh, you know, like can we use this to make money off of? Can and then who gets it? Who gets this technology? Who gets access to it? Like that's when 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 you're coming from that, like that always becomes a problem. Then, uh, but in terms of just creating it, I don't. Like we do need it. I mean, having access to phone with information like that is is I mean, it's it's a day to day thing now. It's it's so a part of our lives. Uh, children, I mean, they look at tab children can use tablets before anything else. Sure. And and to be able to go on there and look up information and do and and, and do and what they need to do and and all that kind of stuff, it, I think it's important to have that access. So I, I don't think it should ever be something we should be scared of, but I do think it should be something where we look at who's controlling, who gets access to it. Okay. Dude, what about you? I'm, I for one welcome our robot overlords. I'm actually really, <laughs> I'm not worried about it. And I know, like I said earlier, guys like Sam Harris, Elon Musk, Stephen Hawking, and Bill Gates are all kind of concerned about the trajectory of AI. I'm not as technophobic as I think most are. I'm open to being convinced there there's something to be worried about. Why the West has had such a difficult time in their popular culture dealing with it is beyond me. Maybe my speculation is that, you know, the West was the first one to really deal with industrialization and machines, you know, starting all the way back in the early 19th century with Britain. That's when you start to see these stories really start to take hold. Machines, replacing people and and them being able to think and that being a form of competition. I mean, that's where we get the phrases Luddites from. These were guys going around smashing machines. And Mm -hmm. this is where we get the word sabotage. You had French uh, uh, machinerists uh, throwing shoes into gears to try and stop the machines, non-thinking machines. You know, and as we move forward, the machines do take jobs and work away from human beings, but they turn out to be labor-saving devices that allow human beings to go and direct their thoughts and activities in other directions and be more productive in other ways. Mm-hmm. That's been the trend of human history since the 1800s. So I'm, I, I, I don't see any reason to believe that trend is going to break, and basically guys like Harris and Elon Musk are saying, well, no, this, is gonna, this time it's different. And maybe it is. I, I really don't. I really, I really don't know. So at my my basic point is um, I'm optimistic about where it's going to go. I mean, Westworld doesn't even deal with the topic of integrating mechanical parts into human biological parts. There's no no even hint of that. Yet these androids are appear to be synthetically printed mm-hmm. or made almost quasi organic. So why we haven't seen an integrated being yet is kind of surprising to me. And maybe that's the focus of the the new narrative. I don't know. Yeah, we, um, don't. we don't know. 
When I was preparing for this podcast, I watched a two-minute YouTube video by Steven Pinker, who talked about the fear of AI as the projection of the alpha male mentality. So historically, the presence of truly great intelligence also seemed to come prepackaged with a little bit of megalomania, a little bit of of this, a lot of this alpha male. Um, those are violence. those are Outward violence. Violent. Well, it's, it's violence, but it's also the takers. It's it's mm-hmm. the hardcore CEOs, the aggressive business people, the, you know, the potential leader of the free world, whatever. These are the people, the alphas, they rise to the top. And he pointed, he, he said that we should not fear AI because it will not come prepackaged with all of this other baggage, kind of what we've been talking about so far. And my argument, which is sort of different from yours, is that I think that we need to really, really consider the source because I think that maybe there is the option to have blank slates in these robots. But I think that the person who is smart enough to build one is smart enough to put their personality into it. Right. And so I would I would be far more cautious, I think, than either of you are and say perhaps there is some reason to be a little bit nervous about the possibility of IQs much, much higher than ours. Okay, so as we always do when we wrap up these podcasts, I'd like to ask each of you a couple of things that you've been into lately. Dude, uh, I know you were playing a game earlier. What, what have you been doing? Steam was having a sale on Wargame Red Dragon, which is kind of a uh, turn-based slashed RTS war game set in the 80s and early 90s, and it's different theaters. So right now I'm fighting on the, uh, the Korean Peninsula. I also got a chance to see um, Beasts of No Nation on Netflix. Oh, okay. so good. That, was, so that, was, that was pretty good. I thought it was all right. I'm trying to think of a few other things. Did I mention I saw that Return of Superman Lives? I forgot if I've mentioned that to you. I that, think you might have briefly. Yeah, I'm glad that movie was never made. It was just a bad idea. <laughs> it was just a really, really bad. I haven't really gotten a chance to see much. I've just been working on our, our secret research, our not-so-secret research project. But yeah. that's really about it. Okay. Daryl, what about you? What have you been, you been doing lately? Um. Well, I, I've been behind in a lot of shows, so I've been kind of catching up on... You know some of the stuff that I've been watching. Like I, uh, I caught up with the DC TV the crossover. Just, you know, a couple of days ago, I caught up with that. I um, Westworld I've been catching up with because I was behind some with that. So I've been watching this, and there is something I was watching, and I'm trying to think of now. And of course, it's it's losing me. Oh, I've watched it's I've watched some of the Scientology. Um, oh, with um, with, with uh, Leah Remini. There you go. Yeah. How and was that? Was that the Louis Thoreau one? No, it was. Uh, no, no, no. It's a new one. It's a it's new a, one. It's a. Uh, it's it's probably what is it going to be like a six parter or something like I that? Think something like that. I don't know about this. And it's... she is running through it. The first episode of is only aired. It's the first one, mm-hmm. and it runs through. Well, I like it. It runs through her history first her history with Scientology. And, and of course, and, this is the actress that was Carrie on King of Queens. Yeah, she was heavily into it. Yeah. She was heavily into Scientology from her family. I mean, they were they were into it since childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and she gets into kind of how, like, and I think it does more than, than any others, is she, she is telling us exactly how you move from a child in it to adulthood, like how you move up. And ranks like it, it's going slowly through it and telling you like what you know like what builds you up like how do they mm-hmm. how do they talk how do they label things how do you go up in tier throughout and it's it's pretty Money. 
fascinating. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, and it's pretty fascinating how human, how how in this day and age that we're in, how people can just do the things they do. Yeah, to each other. I mean, and 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 just be so into the religion. Like, I mean, people had just pretty much given up family, you know, given up, given up a lot of family members because of they were so entrenched in this religion that they're talking about it after they've gotten out. And it, it's just amazing to hear these people. And they're not people that just came, you know, like they're not just people that just walked off of the street and never, you know, had a thought or anything. I like these, some of these are very educated people and it, they're all comes from all different walks of life. But the one main thing is once you start to make money, that's the, that's yeah. the key to be in this religion. And it's just how they, you know, she gets into how she feels being in the religion, how they make you feel. And they even showed the promo video when you, you know, when they're oh, wow. bringing you in and, and what you see in the promo and, and, and how they tell you they want to change the world and, and all the th- great things that you can do as a person, you know, once you give yourself over to this and, and, uh, it's pretty amazing. It's only part one. So I don't even know when part two comes out, like what, you know, they're getting more into the victims and, and, you know, people who've really gone through a lot of, you know, terrible things. Yeah. That's incredible. She did a, she did an AMA on Reddit a, a couple of, about a, a week ago, maybe, maybe even five or six days ago. And she was brutally honest. I mean, even as yeah. far as her own role in it and yes. things that she was embarrassed yeah. that it happened, that she had done, um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I, and I got to respect anybody that's willing to point the finger at themselves even and right. say, hey, I was also culpable. There's a lot of Scientology stuff out. I mean, Going Clear came out, what, last year? Yeah, you know, and I watched Last that. year. Yeah. And I know Louis Faroe, the British documentarian, has one. Mm-hmm. Out. I haven't seen it. I've just seen his interview with Joe Rogan where they spend a couple hours talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know about this one. So if you're into Scientology, there is a lot of info out there. Yeah. I will say this, Tracy, you'd be interested. I was up in Oregon over the Thanksgiving weekend oh, in yeah. Portland. And I, I don't know if you've ever come out to the West Coast or even to Portland, but if you do, you've got to look up Powell's City of Books. You ever hear of this? I have heard. I mean, it's one of the more famous bookstores in the U.S., yeah. I think. Yeah. It was, I had, I was just, as we guys were talking, I remember it's like, I got to tell Tracy because we were there every time I go. I wind up buying like 10 freaking books. <laughs> like I really do. And it's like one of those things like I, I got enough books as it is. Do I really need 10 more? And then you see the ones that Powell has and you're like, yeah, I kind of need these. And I had to like limit myself to the sections I went to. So yeah. I only went to history and to Orwell. And that was it. Because if I went anywhere else, like comic books, uh, you know, any any other section you know, liter- other literature sections, comic book sections, even the magazines. I was like, this is this is going to end bad. <laughs> yeah, I, that I sounds like ship- my kind of place. Yeah, I had to ship my stuff back from Oregon. Like, I couldn't put it in my luggage. I had too much. I had to ship it, like, well, go, go to FedEx, put it in a box, and ship it, to, <laughs> ship it to San Diego. And let me tell you, if you are ever anywhere where you buy more than one book, please do that. Do not take it on a plane. It is such a pain. We almost, coming back from New York Comic Con this year... Uh, I almost missed my flight 
because TSA took so long because they couldn't yeah. see through the books yeah. and they couldn't oh, really? figure out why there were so many in my suitcase. They were like, so why do you have these? And I'm like, we just came from New York Comic Con. I've got like 30 hardcovers in my luggage. Like, oh. can I please? My flight is being called. I have 30 seconds to get to my gate. Oh, can I please God. leave? Yeah, right? just ship them. Yeah, I got Serpents of the Seas and I was like, just brought to Kinko's or, or FedEx, I mean, and cost me like 25 bucks total. Yeah. And USPS is even cheaper, especially if you send it like media mail. Okay, yeah, you have to wait for a week, but it arrives at your doorstep. So. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, it's it's yeah. best to ship them to you, so it's, it's the yeah. best way to do it. Um, so I have been actually watching iZombie, which is a fun little poppy sort of. Um, oh yeah, I like that show. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's good fun. So I finished season one last night. I literally like sat down and I was like, oh hey. So my my old roommate from college told me. A couple months ago, hey, this is a show that seems like it would be kind of, you know, on your radar and something that you would like. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll put this on. And the next thing I know, it's 430 in the morning. <laughs> so I made it through the uh -huh. first season. Yeah. I mean, it's very pop poppy. So don't. Oh, yeah. I, I would put this on while I'm folding laundry or while I'm doing something else. The guy that did uh, Veronica Mars. Is, yeah. Are, are the ones that yeah. did this. And I, yeah, I like it. I, I enjoy it. I watch it when it comes on, too. Yeah, exactly. So I've been doing that. And then, yeah, that's basically this week has sort of flown by. I've been, of course, prepping for Christmas and all that stuff. Holidays are always huge, and I've been prepping for this podcast, so that's mostly what I've been doing. I know, Trace. This actually took work. God damn it. It did. It took a ton of work. It was a lot of fun. Um, this was a great discussion, and I'm super happy that you guys were both here for it. So, yeah, again, Daryl, thank you so much for coming on the show. We were super happy to have you. And, uh, yeah, special, guest. Yeah. special guest. Special <laughs> guest. Special guest. All right, guys. So if you would like to find this podcast and um, our, all of our blog posts, you can go to thereforeigeek.com. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on, I'm missing one, Facebook. YouTube. We're on YouTube, but um, that's more for listening. So we, we've got YouTube, we've got SoundCloud, we've got Stitcher, and of course iTunes, where you can find this podcast and other ones like it. Once again, I'm Tracy. I'm Dude. I'm Daryl. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek.